Um, but yeah, we've got, we've got training tonight. Yeah, we're going to do some half butterfly passing. Ooh. Probably. Can we stay with the pressure passing? Oh, I'm no, enjoying. no, it's, it's, all, it's all linked together. <laughs> okay. If yeah. you um, deal with someone good. Yeah. Uh, Lynchy does it a lot. Um, Nico Maglic or Nico Magic, we call him. Yeah. Um, he's really good at this position where you, you get chest to chest, you do all the hard work, but then they put that half butterfly hook in and they ruin. Yeah. All the well, all he, the effort to that point. Lynchy did it to me open mat um, on Friday at Gorilla, so I like kind of fell into like his half guard and then got it and came across, but somehow he just got that little leg in man, and he just like pushed me straight across the top of him. He's really good at it. Yeah, really so, good. Um, Such a fucking nerd. It's just a matter of going back to like Gordon's passing set. Yeah, There's eight full discs of passing. Disc four is literally just half butterfly passing. Wow. But the problem is some, um, there might be eight techniques there. Some of them are uh, only going to work on 80% of people. Yeah. We really need to think about that, yeah. that top 20%. Yeah, it's crazy when you um when you get like a cheat code, like when James showed me like headquarters and he's like, you know, with your size and like everything you should just be able to, and you do, you feel like I've got this cheat code. I'm just going to fucking, I'm just going to headquarters everyone. But then you come up against like a lynchy or yourself, someone who like has seen it, had it done to them, know the counter to it. And you're like, going, yeah, it's good. the next minute you're like, they've got your back. Lynchy's got your back or got your leg or something like that. And you're like, how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I think, um, James is really, really good at that headquarters passing. It was really frustrating the first oh, first couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm not going to say rolls. It was multiple rolls. <laughs> yeah. But he's just so good at shutting everything down. Yeah. Um, not um, perturbed by anything you're doing. Doesn't care. Nice yeah. and heavy. Waits till you gash yourself going yeah. for stuff that's never going to, you know, you're not going to pull it off. Yeah. He's too comfortable there. And then he ends up taking you back. He's a, he's a motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, we're lucky to have him. Yeah. Well, I, um, I caught up with him uh, earlier and um, he's like, oh, man, my right arm's a bit jacked. I might need to go to the physio. And I was like, well, you're still going to come to training tonight? And he's like, oh, I just don't know if I can roll Grayso with my elbow like this. <laughs> I was like, is it from fucking, you've been drawing your pistol too much or something? And he's like, I think it could be from that. <laughs> I don't know, but the, the police syllabus for some of the stuff they teach a little bit suspect, like standing arm bars and stuff like that. Oh, so, really? Yeah, it's, it's getting revamped. Yeah. But some of the outdated stuff there. Maybe he's been wrist-locked or arm-barred. Yeah, he might have been rolling with Owen. Um, That'll who, do it. Who knows? But, um, Mr. Grayson, let's get into this. We get to the point. Welcome, Mr. Mark Grayson. How are you, legend? Dallas, thanks for having me. Ah, mate, absolute pleasure. Uh, we're just chatting about uh, James, his headquarter passing, and uh, some stuff we're going to go through tonight at Jiu-Jitsu. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it. Been, um, been super stoked that um, Lynchy's put uh, Ronan together and got people like yourself and Bobby and himself to, to do some coaching, which has just been awesome for my game. So... Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty – I'm actually a little bit jealous that I don't get to jump in on Lynchy's classes and Bobby's classes. I think it's a really good setup for the whole week. Um, Lynchy's like a, a nutty professor. Yeah. Like he's uh, knows the ins and outs of every position. He's just got to fix his cardio and then he'll be a real, uh, he'll be a real problem to deal with. He's like a, he's like a master splinter – Danaher, kind of, you know, the Aussie Danaher master splinter. He's so detailed. Yeah, we only got to look at, like, BJJ study, the breakdowns that he's putting together. He yeah. understands 
all the techniques, all the positions so well. Yeah. Um, he just needs to work on that cardio. 100%. <laughs> so, Grace, so you're, a, you're a Maitland boy, born and bred, yeah? Yeah, so grew up in Ashenfield, just near uh, Green Hills Shopping Centre. Okay. Um, stayed there. I went to the grammar school as a kid. Don't hold that against me. <laughs> um, but it was just down the road. Um, we moved down to Brandy Hill for high school. Then yep. I went across the, the All Saints at um, St. Peter's to start with, and then we went across to St. Mary's in Year 10. Yep. Um, initially playing basketball, moved across to rugby there for a couple of years, and then there was an ad in the paper um, advertising um, BJJ and MMA, and I didn't know anything about BJJ, but I'd seen a, you know a little bit of MMA at that point, and I thought that sounded pretty interesting. Yeah. And that was sort of like the... The gateway into the introduction, it. yeah, because I'd take it you were a pretty long, wiry kid, so basketball would have been good. What were you like a, a flanker or something in rugby? For, yeah, well, you I, I didn't hit puberty till I was about seventeen. Yeah, which you know I used to get quite upset about. I was just, <laughs> just waiting for things to grow, and they just didn't. Well, you're always long. Yeah, I was always pretty lanky. Yeah, it was just um, you know I still don't have facial hair, but I just never <laughs> fully grew into my body until maybe. It must have been about 17 or 18. Like, it was a long time. Yeah, and uh, I went through, like, this journey with uh, with Bobby, uh, and it was quite funny because, he like, you came up from your security guy stuff, and he's like, well, Mark's been from that venue, that venue. <laughs> but it's like, who was your first ever BJJ coach or MMA coach? Uh, Sean Kirkwood yep. was my first, like, walking in uh, off the street after that ad in the paper. Um, it was really lucky. There was a guy there, Jordi Estetheo, who's a, a black belt now, um, played country rugby as well, so okay. he's quite a specimen. Yep. I think he might have been Mr. Australia at some point as well. Wow. So he's a he's a specimen, <laughs> yeah. um, but you couldn't muscle your way through anything. And, it, you know, obviously jiu-jitsu's come a long way, but at that point in time he knew a lot more than I did technically and I couldn't do anything to him. I couldn't muscle anything on him. He just beat me up pretty much that first 12 months, which was really how helpful. Old, how old were you, Grace? Were you, were you in high school? I was 2010, wow. so I was a couple of years out of school. Yeah. So, you know, three years out of school at that point. So you've been doing it a hot minute. But yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, but back then, um, it was jigsaw mats on a, in a, you know, a local hall. Yeah. And it's only two days a week. So you've got either Monday, Wednesday, or if you want to do the drive to uh, Singleton, you could go up there and you could double, you know, double your training schedule. But you're still only getting three or four yeah. afternoons in a week. It was crazy because... Um uh, I said this same story on with Bobby, but it's like when um, Chad and I went to the barn for um, for breakfast one day, and he's like, "This is where Jamie and I started doing jujitsu." And I was like, "What?" And he goes, "Yeah, this used to be a PCYC. And we used to have to un- like pull the mats out, put them together, and then fold them up and pack them away like two times a week." And I think it might have been under Sean Gurkwood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ch- Ch- Chad, um, I don't know if you're aware. Chad had one of the first MMA fights ever, ever. in New South Wales. Yeah. He <laughs> entered this – he's so crazy. He entered a, a tournament with seasoned guys and he went down there. I think he was only a white belt at the time. Wow. And I'm, I, I have to check with Chad, but I'm pretty sure he triangled someone in the first like first fight. Yeah. Which is sensational. It's just essentially that much of a stud. He's yeah. coming off the street and, and got a win straight away. Well, he's got – um he's a bit of a sleeper old Chad because he grew up in Lithgow – and I think he started boxing at like 12. This goes pretty tough town. Tough town, yeah. So they had Spike Lee and he started boxing at like 12. Also pretty handy at ping pong and uh, yeah, boxing. So hand-eye coordination. And I think he started doing like Muay Thai or something like that. So he's a beast, dude. Yeah, and his jiu-jitsu has really come a long way as well. Like if you let him on your ankles now, it's not going to be a good result. Well, considering like, I think that was like, I think he told me it was like 96 they started at Adamstown, him and Jamie. 
and then um, he got his blue belt, and then obviously he started the CrossFit journey. Um, but we're all like you know, and then he comes back as a blue belt, uh, you know, in his late thirties or early forties, and uh, to see him like, well, he just turned his birthday. I think he turned forty six today, and he's the nightmare. He's the, I call him the fittest fittest seventy year old in the in in Newcastle. If I'm looking like that at forty six, I'll be pretty happy. <laughs> He's a stud, eh? <laughs> and also, like, a wealth of knowledge. Like, really, he he gets these DVDs, he watches them, he studies them, he teaches them almost, like, because he's one of the best coaches regardless of what he does, whether it's CrossFit, life, you know, jiu-jitsu. He's such a good coach. His ability to get information, retain it, and then deliver it is pretty sensational. Yeah, I, r- I really like his classes. Like, yeah. when I'm... Um, come to Gorilla and jumped in on his classes. They've been really well run. It's yeah. all modern jiu-jitsu. It all works. There's yeah. no fluff in there. Yeah. Like it's exactly what you want from yeah. a training session. And he's still coming down to Grappling Ed um, when he can over on a Friday. Friday. <laughs> Getting Skinner's um, master classes. <laughs> Essentially a seminar um, every Friday. Yeah, he's like, dude, I, at 12 o'clock, I could just get Skinner by myself. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, yeah 9.30 classes. Um you know, fair few people there, and it's pretty high level. Yep. But then a lot of that drops away, and you're essentially getting a, a private. Yeah, it's pretty good. Skinner's running it. He's a savage. So, how long were you? Um, how long were you with Sean? I went to Tiger Muay Thai in 2010 in September that year. So I'd done essentially maybe Over almost to Thailand. A, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I almost did a year with Sean. Yep. And at that stage, I was getting there's a couple of purple belts there. Darren Rolf was a purple belt at that stage. Jordy might have even been a purple at that point. Um, but he was really, they were all giving me a real hard time. Then I went over to Tiger Muay Thai and finally um, started to, I got to train twice a day. Yeah. And that was, you know, six days a week. So you did that for a month and it was an exponential improvement. And that was like the first insight into what's required to actually get better. Wow. You can't just turn up a couple of days here and expect a good result. Did you always have that work ethic? Like by playing basketball, playing rugby, obviously not maturing having that did you always have that kind of work ethic inside of you throughout sport and through your academic career as well yeah i think i'm i'm probably somewhere on the spectrum to be fair <laughs> um, i probably didn't achieve what i would have liked to in basketball yeah. um, i was in part of a really good team we had some um, good guys and as a team we did fairly well um rugby you know there's some highs and lows there like we won an 18s premiership then we also lost a um, colts grand final i got yeah. a red card in that game too which is you know <laughs> violence <laughs> no there's a guy that played first grade all year yeah. and then he dropped back um to colts just for the finals oh that's dog yeah, yeah. so they didn't put him on in the first half because i think they knew it was the wrong thing to do yeah uh they put him on to start the second half yeah and i just yeah hit him a little bit high <laughs> well the initial connection was on the chest but bounced yeah. up to the face and yeah. Yeah, it was downhill from there yeah <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's not nice you I don't think people understand what involve what's involved in a in a whole season of rugby or rugby league. It's it's a lot, man. Like you, your body goes through the ringer, and you bleed for your brothers. And when you lose, like every premiership that I've ever, I've only won one premiership or two premierships, sorry, and I've lost about five, and I've bawled my eyes out at the end because you you put so much into it, and it's um it's there's so much emotion involved in it that when you when you lose, like I've been in a team that went undefeated all year. I think the maximum points we had scored against us was 12 points and we lost the grand final to, to the fourth te- to the team that came fourth. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty rough. I can remember getting sent off uh, in that game against Merriweather. Actually, Lynchy was playing for Merriweather that day. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know that – I don't 
I don't remember Lynchy from the rugby days. He only told me that later on. Um, but he still gives me a lot of banter to this day about that. But someone in the crowd actually threw a tinny, hit me in the head as I was <laughs> uh, making my way back to the sheds. What ground were you at? Uh, the number one in Newcastle. Oh, wow. So it was, it was a fair few people there and yeah. obviously I was getting heckled pretty hard. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, someone, beautiful shot, like <laughs> half a tinny. And, yeah, what yeah. do you do? Oh, that's crazy. Um, and the like the grappling and wrestling and stuff like that from, from playing rugby – did you feel like you that come naturally to you, like the I, wrestling stuff? I liked uh, a guillotine's quite effective to stop a rolling mall, as yep. an example. If you can find the person with the ball and just snap on a little guillotine, you know they're going to panic a little bit. And um, I've definitely employed that technique. Yeah, you know, it's obviously not legal in a rugby setting. Yeah, <laughs> but there are advantages like that. Um, it certainly helped early on in white belt competitions where you have no other skill set and you yep. can dr- bring a bit of that um, rugby. Yeah. yeah, that rugby skill set across. But it doesn't take long where you need more than that. Like by blue belt, you need to have started to develop a little bit of technique. You can't – well, you shouldn't be just muscling. Yeah, 100%. O- although I'm definitely guilty of muscling more than you should. <laughs> well, you're a specimen. <laughs> um, and how long did it take you um, – so Tiger Muay Thai, um, you were there for a hot minute. How long did it take you to get your blue belt? And who gave you your blue belt? I was actually a white belt for five years. Are you serious? Yeah, so it was uh, – I, I went uh, after in 2011. I went to Europe and worked as a tour guide for 12 months. Um, just worked for a company called Bus About. It was a really good way to see Europe, um, really cheap, but um, I wouldn't do it again. Uh, it, was, it was good to see that part of the world. Yeah. Uh, but I think my income that year might have been 10 grand or something like that. Wow. So it's um, it's a good thing to do to see the world, but in terms of your career, it's, there's definitely better options. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I come back home and took a job uh, in the Gunnedah district, um, working at a coal mine out there. Yep. Um, obviously, there was no jiu-jitsu. Well, not obviously. Nothing's obvious. But no jiu-jitsu out there. Had to really travel. Um, had to go up uh, in Varel at one point just to get some rolls in. And wow. There was, you know, blue, uh, blue Belt was the highest level there. Um, so I had to go back. It was I was with Gracie Baha at uh, Hunter Valley. So that's where I got my Blue Belt. I think that might have been like 2014. Um, so four years. Yeah, it took a long time. <laughs> um, but I finally got it. Um, but by blue belt, I was already um, submitting black belts pretty regularly. Yeah. Like it was, um, that was sort of where the skill was. Uh, it was just then you're bound by the minimum time frames and whatnot. So that really stalled um, the belts for a while. But ultimately, belts aren't that important in the in the end, we just want to try and get better at jiu-jitsu. Yeah, 100%. Um, and when did you know you were, like, you as a white belt, you were hooked? Like, when was it like, this is my thing, I want to I want to do this. I'll travel to do this. I think it was, uh, I had an amateur boxing fight. Um, Brandon Grace was the guy's name. I was 3-0 I was as an amateur at the time and, and starting to think I was going not too bad at this boxing business. Who'd, who'd you box with? Um, Bobby McLaughlin okay. at, at um, Hit and Dip. So I think Bobby's just racked up 25 years there. He, he only finished recently. Wow. Um, that's probably pretty central to our, the way that we all trained. Anyone that was good at league or union or anything, in any any guys playing the Knights from Maitland, they would have trained at Bobby's at some point. Yeah. That's where, you know, everybody went. After school, if there was any beef, if we had issues with guys from Grosman or Maitland High, we would all go to Bobby's. Everybody would get in the ring and we'd just take turns belting each other. Are you for real? Yeah. It was, That's so cool. It was awesome. Guys from the grammar school would come across as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was a real, like, good group. Yeah. Um, 
met some really good um, guys like that group in itself, but Bobby sort of kept us all in check, made sure that we we're all doing the right thing, and he tried to make sure we we're behaving as best he could, but we yeah. were still occasionally going across for Thursday night fights at Green Hills. Much better than the bike rack out the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the back gate. <laughs> yeah. A lot more, um, yeah, I guess, more a more mature and safe approach to to getting out the um, adolescent testosterone levels. Yeah, and that was really good. Like we we all learnt at least how to, you know, our boxing skills were a little bit outdated, but everybody learnt, you know, about hard work and training. And, you know, yeah. if you learnt like basic strength training as well, we would always do a circuit to warm up. And the idea of the circuit was to try and fatigue the arms so that we're not going to KO each other when we're sparring. Smart man. Yeah, yeah, he was he was on point so then we'd spar um do multiple rounds you know switching in and out and then at the end we'd do strength training we'd always um bench and shoulder press that was how we'd you know train you know most days of the week what a man shout out to bobby oh yeah bobby's bobby's a bit of a legend around lately (laughs) so that was like um i wanted after that brandon grace fight i got belted um it's probably 50 people from work there at the time i was working at able mine um he dropped me three times in the first round like it was just a, a clinic Wow. Um, after that, I was like, there's got to be a better way to deal with, you know, combat situations. And that was sort of when I ventured off in towards jiu-jitsu. Yeah. But there was always that urge to – I always wanted to fight MMA. I actually walked into Jamie Ballard's um, Newcastle fight gym way, way, way back in the day, stuck my head in, looked at some of the savages in there, um, like it would have been like Chad Price, Justin Murray, yeah. uh, Mark Bundell, kicking bags, and I just went – yeah, I don't know if this is for me. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> and that's, you know, went down the jiu-jitsu path for a couple of years. It's crazy. Um, it's crazy how much people, like, don't – or not sleep or – Justin Murray is an animal. It, it, good at all aspects of MMA. Like, an animal. Yeah, like I, uh, really good. I said this um, with Bobby. It's like um, Newcastle itself and the Hunter is just a hub for just savage fighters, like, especially, like, for MMA – and um, like I, I met Muzz properly through a good mate of mine, Mickey, and um, he just, yeah, he's like, they're like, he's funny guy. I was like, fuck, he's so funny. He's just such a like lord of a human. And Mickey's like, so like, in terms of like jujitsu, like, how would you go against him? I said, dude, I've rolled him, him going twenty percent, and he tapped me like nine times in five minutes, like just cruising, like playing like, you know, the lockdown system, twisted me, like, you know, the truck. Like, and he was just flowing and I had no answer to it at all. Yeah, like Justin's like um, coming from Jamie Ballard. Jamie Ballard's the original vet in the area. Like he competed on ADCC. Like he's, you know, been to the highest level. Yeah. Justin was one of his best students uh, and in terms of early MMA. He was, you know, well ahead of the game. I, I trained with Justin as a white belt for the first time and it was – really embarrassing he was just watching the clock waiting until you know the time is nearly out and then subbing me and doing things like that like he was just playing with me and that was like a it was really cool to see that level so yeah. early on and and what's possible yeah well i remember uh you'd just gotten back from well, you'd just gotten back from brazil and i think you'd just gotten your brown belt i was like six months into my crew into my journey at gorilla and i got partnered up with you and i was like fuck how did i end up with this guy <laughs> I think there's worse partners. I think Lynch is a rougher training partner to be drilling with. Oh, you just like, I just remember like, um, I think it was more so you were like, fuck, I have to spend an hour with this guy. He's no, no, no. It would, it would not have been like that. No, no, no. But then rolling with you, I was like, holy shit, this guy's strength levels on a hot, like, because I'm a big guy. So people are like, I'm going to fuck you up because you're a big guy. And I was like, I remember saying to Stewie, because I seen you guys chatting after, I was like, Stewie, 
who's your mate? He's fucking so strong. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's great. So <laughs> I well, think it might, uh, like a lot of people suggest that. Mind you, um, Rick Ouchen, when I competed with him, man, that's strong. Yeah. Like that was a level I haven't really experienced before. Yeah, man. Um, Keller that I do a lot of my training with. Kellocky. Keller Locksotti, yeah. yeah. Yep. Like he's yep. current top of the food chain in Australia, like right up there with Craig Jones, in my opinion. And yep. like really dangerous. Um from pretty much any position. Any position, man. But his, um, his strength in different planes is, like, exceptional. Well, I met Keller um, 2016. So I'm, like, I've, I spent, like, 10 years in Bondi and um, very close to, like, the, the Russian Jewish community. And um, so, like, Igor and uh, Max and Tom Kazamayan and stuff like that. And I'd always have saunas with them and Dimitri and stuff like that at Icebergs. And every, Dallas, come and do wrestling. Dallas, come and do wrestling. And I just had a gut full of CrossFit and it was like, yeah, I think about it in the summer of like 2015, going into 2016. And um, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll go up there. Oh, man, it was, it was, I've never experienced anything like it before in my life. Like Max just like ragdolled. I'm good mates with Max and Tom and they both just ragdolled me. Um, and then that's how I met Keller. And it was like, you know, Black belt in judo, black belt in jiu-jitsu, and just an absolute savage. Him and Josh and, yeah, all those guys. Yeah, and super nice as well. Yeah. Like, he'll yeah. destroy you with a smile on his face. Yeah. Um, the first time I rolled him was um, embarrassing. Like, I, I actually <laughs> felt really bad that I was giving him a poor training session. Yeah. Uh, he was that good. Yeah. And, oh. and, like, being, I've been there pretty much uh, just after COVID, um, well, once we could start training again post COVID, yeah. I've been there that whole time, and it's you know really good room. Yeah, um, heaps of young like I'm talking like twenty year old blue belts that are going to tap you, and then you've got Keller that rolls in you know off shift and he'll tap you as well. Yeah, like it's um, really good in that. Is he? He's a fire at the airport, eh? Keller? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, savage. And where's that gym at? That's at Cogger, eh? Yeah, Cogger. Yeah, Cogger. So you got um, Keller teaching a lot of the classes. Uh, you got Tito coming in doing cameos. Yeah. Um, which is really good. He's he's a really good instructor. Yeah. Um, Skinner looks after the majority of the day classes. Yeah. Um, and he's like, he's like a mini Danaher in the way that he breaks down the classes and he's so structured. Yeah. He's, there's a thought process behind all the techniques, uh, and then they flow through to a, like a revision week, like we're, what we're doing at the moment. Yeah. Um, That's super cool, man. And uh, yeah, shout out to Jeremy. Just got his uh, black belt off Locky as well, which is super cool. Yeah, it's like a new benchmark for black belts, like the fact that. Um, where Skinner's at, if that's what's required for a black belt in 2021, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And I guess, um, I, I guess uh, you know, keep going through your journey, but because how long have you been in brand belt for now? Three years? Uh, when did I get that? I think it was 2017. Yeah, 2017. End of 2017. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, like, obviously progressing through your jiu-jitsu career, where you, where you are now, what – who do you sit under? Who gave you your brown belt and where, where are you at now? Because for people who don't know, jiu-jitsu is pretty – I guess it's quite political, right? Like, you know, are you a, are you under a Gracie system, a Machado system? Are you this? Are you a free agent, a globetrotter? Like, what, how did um, – so, like, when you got your brown belt, who gave that to you and then, like, where are you at now in terms of – Yeah, so there was, a, there was the BJJ Globetrotters, which was an uh, organisation put together so that for us Ronans that yeah. – um, don't buy into the culty sort of typical McDojo stuff. We're not interested in any of that. Um, BJJ Globetrotters is there for people just like us where you can compete under us. But the IBJJF didn't like that. Um, they didn't like that uh, there was a professor that was oh, – professor, I'll use that 
term loosely. Yeah. Um, I don't really agree <laughs> with um, the term professor. In Portuguese, it just means teacher. Yeah. So it's just a teacher. But over here, a, a lot of gyms are, are telling you to call their coaches professors or the instructors professors. Yeah. It's a bit rich. But I reckon Tari would backhand me by calling him professor. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even like when people say coach. Like, my name's Mark. Yeah. You know, I'm going to call you Dallas. Yeah. Let's just. I call, I'm, I'm a, I call coach because I'm just used to that from footy. Oh, yeah, and that's fine. Yeah. Like, you know, but even that feels a bit funny for me because yeah. it's like we're all equals here. Equals here, yeah. Like, I don't, you know, we're all the same. Yeah. We're just here because we like rolling around with each other on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's that simple. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, where were we? Um, in Brazil. Uh, I, I was with Globetrotters when I went there, so I was there for six months. Are they hubbed out of Brazil, Globetrotters? No, uh, I can't remember where the Christian Gorgart or Gorgart was the fella's name that put it together. But since the IBGF um, stopped you being able to compete underneath them, it made it a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Um, but at that point in time in 2017 when I got to Brazil, that's who I was competing for. Uh, I planned to be at a particular gym for four weeks. I walked in there, the instructor charged me 50 bucks Aussie for the month. And that included unlimited jiu-jitsu and unlimited weights, like strength training. How good. And I'm like, what's happening here? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's what they try and charge you for just jiu-jitsu here at A um, week. most of those gyms. Yeah. yeah. So I was yeah. like, you know, what's the catch? And he, you know, I explained what it's like in Australia and he was, you know, a bit taken aback by that. But long story short, instead of spending four weeks, I spent four months there. Oh, wow. Because the, the cleanliness was really good. Like a lot of... Gyms in Brazil, they could probably improve their mopping and things like that. But, you know, it is what it is. You've got to take it. Um, it's, it's a great place. Like this, in yeah. terms of getting really, it, mainly gi though, but in terms of getting good gi training and being able to cross train as well, there's no, none of this political crap where you can't train at different gyms. Yeah. Uh, when I was in Sao Paulo, I would train at maybe three or four gyms a week. And that was, that was normal. And then same in Rio. Like, yeah, you have your favorite that you'll spend the majority of your time at but there's no issue with you going to other gyms and sometimes they'll have like specific sessions for bigger guys or specific sessions for smaller oh wow smaller weights like all the lightweights will get together and train at a particular gym on a particular day and that's really normal um it's just in australia for whatever reason they politicize it and we don't have the opportunity to do that which baffles me right cuz you know obviously uh we spoke about you know you are ronan we've got ronan now um super cool place and you get people from from a certain gym, and they're like they don't want to jump in photos. They don't want people knowing that they're there, and it's just like I don't get it. Like you know, if we're all coming to this one hub to share knowledge with each other to make each other better, doesn't it make that gr- better for the greater community in Newcastle? So that when we, we when we all go down to a to grappling industries or something like that, we're all standing on the podium because we all make each other better. Yeah. For me, it's just like, we're all adults. We should just, it's like, is Anytime Fitness going to tell me that I can't go to body fit? <laughs> like, it's it's so foreign. I don't even know how it's how it's still an issue. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is. We, when we kicked away, um, Ronan had this specific membership, a Creonchi membership, which um, Grappling Education had the same thing. Yeah. Fantastic initiative where yeah. you can keep your membership wherever you are and then you can drop in whenever you want and train here on a Creonchi membership. It's the same value as a, a casual drop-in. So it's 20 bucks a week. Yep. It's sensational. Yep. Everybody wins. Uh, if you're a good instructor and you don't, you're not insecure, or you're not fearful of your students leaving, or, or what I would suggest is send them. Yep. Find out what techniques they're teaching. Not that there's any secret techniques anymore. Those days are gone. Yep. But send them. 
get them to come back with that knowledge. Or maybe they've come across a different guard that they're struggling with. Maybe there's someone playing spider guard in the gi and there's no real spider guard players at this gym, uh, at their normal gym. Yeah. Well, being exposed to that, then they can then go back to their instructor and say, I'm having a bit of trouble with this particular guard. Yep. Can we break that down? Yeah. And ultimately, they're just going to get better at jiu-jitsu because they've been exposed to those different styles and those different games. Yeah. Well, man, like I'll, I'll have to say like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm at Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu Newcastle, but, you know, I spend my Wednesday nights out of Jamie's. I spend my Tuesday nights with you. Unfortunately, sorry, Lynchy, but, uh, you know, Thursday nights I'm now doing yoga with my wife. And then Friday nights, you know, I do I do Bobby's class or, you know, I'll try and get to Owen's class. And it's, I don't know, it just makes it so much more enjoyable. It's like a, a different thing, a different energy. Like, because I struggle going to Jamie's on a Wednesday night. I'm like, you know, I've... My jiu-jitsu's got really good. I've spent a lot of time with James. I've spent a lot of time with Chad and, you know, Lynchy and, you know, like, I've, you know, we've got good guys at Gorilla. But for some reason, whenever I went out to the guys from Alpha and out to Jamie's, I struggled because they're, like, super scrambly and scrappy. And it took me, like, four weeks to be able to go, well, what am I doing? Like, how do I adjust to this? Which made me better because it's like I've seen more stuff, which is going to make me a better jiu-jitsu player. But it also was like I'm getting my ass kicked now for four weeks against white belts and I'm like how do I make myself better with this and then it's like you know I'm now I'm doing your class and I was like okay I'll, I'll just slow this down and you know, use these cross these heavy cross faces jump into that that half guard position that you were showing and it's like I was just murdering people just with this cross face thing and they're like well, what am I going to do to this I've never been slowed down and stopped we're usually so scrappy and we move but you take their hips and their shoulders away from them and it's like I don't, they're going, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> That's probably a good uh, a good point you're raising there. Um, Jamie and, and those MMA guys, they are going to be a lot more um, volatile. They're trying to get back up to their feet. Um, guys like Dave Morley, if he decides to get up, he's getting up. Yeah. There's not yeah. a lot you can do about that. No. <laughs> uh, that's just what's going to happen. So then you need to think about options, what you can do uh, when that does happen. Can you get on the legs as he's standing? Like those sort of things you need to, yeah. to factor in. Yeah, 100%. But if you've just been in one particular place and you're not used to that explosive MMA style where they're always just looking to get back to their feet, that's really hard to deal with. Yeah. Um, my first few amateur fights in MMA, I struggled with that where people weren't looking to stay there. They're just looking to get back up. Yeah. So you really need to think about that and uh, not a, like, for example, if you let them get the underhook, they're just going to use that to stand. Yeah, I wasn't even aware of a basic um, principle like that when I had my second MMA fight as an example. So, like, obviously, you've had a lot of success competitively in the jiu-jitsu world. You've you've had that the, the bit of boxing, the background. What was it that, that you were like? Well, I want to test myself over here because obviously you know, we all love the UFC and whatever else. You're like, right, I'm doing really well in jiu-jitsu. You you know, one of the best in the country. You know, for for, for what you do. What made you want to go over and, and do the whole package with mixed martial arts? I jumped in uh, a Coffs Harbour Invitational and I got uh, footlocked twice. I got toe pressed, which is a pretty embarrassing thing to have to tap to, <laughs> but I did. Um, and I got heel hooked. Um, by, oh, I didn't even – Robbie Paraha, uh, established black belt from Queensland, he uh, literally just went to saddle. And at that point in time, I had such little awareness – of leg locks I tapped just from being put into saddle was Robbie down not so long ago yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah real nice guy yeah, really legend. yeah really good jiu-jitsu as yeah. well um but that was like man I've just done jiu-jitsu for all these years and I don't know how to deal with legs properly so then what le- year was this guy so what, what belt were you uh, tw- I would have been a, um I was a brown belt 
Okay. So it's wow. pretty embarrassing. I've got to brown belt and I can't deal with leg attacks. Wow. Okay. This is not good. And yep. then I jumped in an Oz Sub Only Invitational. Um, again, Richie Pappas, a guy from Sydney West Martial Art, he'll hook to me in like 50 seconds. Wow. And the guy running the event, um, George Hamlin, he's a promoter for Jiu Terrors and Subversion. I think he was a bit embarrassed. Like, you know, I've got, he, he's given me a shot and I literally got subbed in 50 seconds and he's looking at me afterwards. He's like, what the hell was that? <laughs> And I felt the same. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> that was really embarrassing. Was like, there was a fair few people there. I was like, damn. Like that was a, that was a rough start to that day. Yeah. Um, from that, obviously, I need to learn leg locks. So me and Lynchy both went to Singapore and did Danaher's Singapore camp. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the middle of 2018. And was that Evolve? Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. It was a really, really good camp. Um, it was six days, two hours of Danaher's instruction in the morning and two hours in the afternoon. But Danaher's such a freak that he would stay. So you do your two hours of instruction and then he'd stay and answer questions. And that answering questions component went for two hours pretty much every session. Wow. So we would do the session, sit there and listen to every question and ask our own and, and get that knowledge. And Danaher's a savage. If you ask a question that's already been asked or you ask a dumb question, he'll roast you and move to the next question. <laughs> So it's really important that you stay focused and you don't waste his time. Yeah. Like, so that, that was really good. And I think that was when um, Matt and I both sort of really improved our jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Like that was a very intensive week. Yeah. Um, we literally were doing eight hours of jiu-jitsu um, every day that week. Wow. Um, wow. Mind you, Lynchy was being a tight ass at the time. We stayed in this hostel that was, we ended up getting, a, I think it was like a four bed dorm just to ourselves but we didn't do any washing until like far too late in the week and it just reeked. Like it was, that's one of my main memories from that camp. Jesus. But we did get better at jiu-jitsu yeah. at that point. <laughs> and then I, I jumped in an Oz Sub only event at the end, of the end of that year. It was like maybe 30 people in that open weight bracket ended up winning that. Yeah. And, and I got to go against Richie again. I couldn't, couldn't um, sub him like I would have preferred to, yeah. but you know, we had a pretty good match. I ended up you know, getting the decision and yeah. I went on to submit everyone else. Including a heel hook in the in the final of that event. Yeah, it's cool. I actually um I actually said to to Big O the other day, and I was like, "Man, you need to start playing legs. Like your game is so outdated. Like it's cool what you do, but I reckon he'd be just so gnarly if he started playing legs and attacking the whole body." Uh, I, I reckon Owen's one of the most underrated grapplers out there. <laughs> like he's got a legitimate guillotine. Oh man, from As anywhere a, too. Yeah, like. Yeah. I, I, Training with Ebersol for a long time, he's always said that the guillotine's a myth. It doesn't exist. Like, the guillotine's not a thing. He would get really frustrated when Joe Rogan would start talking about, oh, he's got the guillotine, when really it's just he's taken someone down and they've wrapped his head up. Yeah. He's going to pop up and punish them in a minute. Um, but he drilled into me, like, what to do and how to deal with guillotines, and I'm pretty comfortable from that position. And, and Owen's caught me very recently with a guillotine. Yeah. And I, I was so impressed because I have, like, three – levels or three stages of defense and all of them failed oh. including including the last ditch escape i would have gone for that four or five times wow. and i was like yep yeah, i'm trying to breathe through my ears at this point i need to uh tap yeah and i was so impressed he's got those long arms and long fingers and he just gets that chin strap and it's just as soon as he gets that chin strap you're like oh, i'm out of here and his triangles like elite as well yeah if you get stuck in there that's a wrap but then it's like if he started, if he had a, started developing a leg game, because he is, he's a motherfucker, man. Like, he's so good. And I was like, because I said to Chad the other day, I was like, could you imagine if O 
like learnt legs and was like proficient like with like saddle and like single leg X and 50-50 and stuff like that. And he was just like, he's like, oh man, that'd be so scary. One of the things he, <coughs> sorry, one of the things he does have going for him is he's really hard to leg lock. Yeah. So if you do try and get on his legs, he's so good at um, defending the legs. Well, they're stupidly long. <laughs> they're so long. Yeah, I've always found that though. Like anytime you've, you try and get a bite on his legs, he's so good at, at you know, exiting stage left. Also, Oh, and don't beat me up next time I roll you. <laughs> He's probably going to heel hook you next yeah, time. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> nah, shout out to me, go. Um, all right, so we've 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 done the. Oh, so. Oh yeah, sorry, I got distracted. Yeah. The um, so after that comp, I'd finally sort of, you know, dealt with heel hooks in a acceptable manner, and I could sleep at night again. It's <laughs> uh, still a long way to go, but at yeah. that point, I was I was pretty happy with that. That was there's a lot of good guys in that in that event. Then I was like, right, I'm a brown belt. I finally have a bit of leg awareness. I probably need to go and have some MMA fights before I um, get my black belt. Yeah. You know, I feel like I need to do that. I need to test myself and, and demonstrate my jiu-jitsu does work. Yeah. If it's not going to work in a cage, then it's probably, you know, needing to be improved before I go to that next level. Yeah. Um, I've, I signed up to fight a guy. I'd already had one fight in 2016 in Lithgow. Um, that opponent, you know, he did his best, but it wasn't um, – I could have got a tougher opponent. Um, we're both 0 and 0. Like yeah. it wasn't like I was trying to pad my record like most people do in this country. But um, 0 and 0, it was a relatively easy win. But I was had no idea about MMA at all. I think I did like six privates with Chad Price, like over six weeks leading up to it, and that was like the only striking I'd done um, for that fight. Then um, I looked up the rankings, the Australian rankings, and there was a guy. Um, he called himself the Coolum Beach Bad Boy. And I just thought, I remember like, this. this is the lamest fight name I've ever seen. <laughs> I want to fight that guy. Yeah. So I've jumped on and you know, emailed him. Not emailed him. I sent him a DM on Instagram, you know, blah, blah, blah. But even respectful. Yeah. What are the chances? And he pretty much just wrote me off. And I was like, okay, no problem. Maybe I'll have to shoot a little bit lower. But then I seen that he was matched to fight. Um, he was maybe second and there was another guy ranked third. And I just sent a message to the promoter. If either of those guys get injured... I'll jump in and happily, you know, fill that void. Yep, no problem. Then a couple of weeks later, he's like, how would you like to fight uh, Alex Holm, who was ranked number one? And I was like, how good is this? Yeah. Like, just jump. Yep, no problem. Um, signed up to do that one. I don't know how keen he was for that fight, um, but he turned up, didn't make weight. Um, I think he was 600 grams over and then gets off the scales and skulls of Mount Franklin. So I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Um, it was really lucky we had um, Chad Price there, like really experienced in the MMA scene. Yeah. Um, he was pretty much told him in no uncertain terms, you will go and um, make the weight. He didn't. Um, probably won't go into the details of how we resolved that. But there's a lot of people that come up to watch. There's a heap of um, fellas that come up from Maitland. So we're like, right, we better, um, we better fight him anyway, a little bit heavy. Um, he had been submitting everybody. I think at the time he might have been five and one and had submitted the majority of his opponents. Um, but I didn't really rate his jiu-jitsu. So I was like, I'm pretty confident I can just go and grab that dude, put him on the ground and, and submit him. Yeah. That's pretty much what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there was like a – it was a really poor display of MMA. Like um, I got a nice takedown at the start, but then he um, stood up off an underhook. Again, at that time I had no idea that that was possible. Yeah. But that was a good example where your jiu-jitsu – you might think your jiu-jitsu is good, but in an actual contest, it's it's not. So that was good learning for me. 
Uh, we had like a really wild striking exchange. Um, I think I broke his nose, but he also um, I had like a subconjunctival hemorrhage to my eye. So like he got a good shot through as well. Yeah. And after he hit, after he hit me like that and pinned me to the fence, I was like, yeah, it's time to wrap things up. Like this, you don't want to be in here any longer than you need to. Yeah. Um, ended up wrapping up a guillotine and and finishing, bringing it to the pulling guard, which you're not supposed to do, and then turn it into a mounted guillotine, and that was a wrap from there. Yeah. I remember you. I actually remember you fighting that guy. Um, and then from that, did you? Is that when the kind of the stuff for, for one started to roll in? So because because he had a, he was the champion of that division of that organization, wasn't he? Oh no, that was just a. He, he, that wasn't even for the belt. The fight before us was for the belt. So the number two and three ranked guy in Australia were fighting for the coastal combat belt. Yeah, and then Alex and my fight. You know, whoever one out of us was going to ultimately fight, I think it was, I can't remember that gentleman's name, but we were supposed to fight that guy, but that never come to fruition in the end. Um, yeah. I ended up going and fighting the IMAF world champs yeah. in Bahrain, yeah, um, which was a bit of fun in itself. Like we went, flew to the other side of the world, didn't know anybody, didn't have a coach or anything with me. I just got um, linked up with some of the Australian team over there. There was It was an absolute circus. There was, um, <laughs> it was probably like, Let's say there was a thousand people, but there was only eight hundred beds, so oh, yeah. it was just a circus. I ended up getting put um, in with two coaches I hadn't met um, on a foldaway bed. Wow! And that's where I spent, you know, the tournament sleeping on a foldaway bed in their room. Um, so it wasn't ideal. Ended up getting a triangle in my first fight. Um, that was I fought on one one day, and then the next day I come back and fought uh, Vladislav Ilan. That's one fight I'd love to do again, um, but he just smoked me. Yeah. Um, better at all aspects of mixed martial arts and there's nothing I could do. At one point I tried to spin under for a knee bar and he um, hit me really flush and I was like, yeah, okay, I need to really reevaluate um, what I'm trying to do here. This yeah. isn't this isn't really working. Um, after that point, that was when um, the one, I got signed by one after yeah. that event. Did you know that there was going to be scouts or anything there, or was Brian talking to one at the at that point in time? Or? No, it was just a. They just put an ad, like a. They publicised it that they were doing a One Warrior series and they were taking applications from Australia and they're going to do a tryout at KMA, which is where I was training at the time. Yeah. Uh, after that um, IMAF event, I was, I was very disheartened by the way I lost, and it was really disappointing. Uh, I think one like my sister Kellyanne actually said it looked my face was like a funeral face. Like, and that was when I was in the cage. Like, you could tell I was just, like, really disappointed that I'd put on such a poor showing. Yeah. Um, that was when I started going to – I got linked up with Brian after that. Yeah. And my – every weekend I'd go to KMA. So I'd drive from Maitland down to Liverpool. I'd stay at this Maryland's Airbnb every Saturday night. <laughs> I'd, every Saturday I'd, I'd do a wrestling class with Brian in the morning. Then we'd do MMA sparring of an afternoon. And then Sunday I'd go and train with Ethan Thomas at Sydney Uni. Yep. Um, really, really high-level guy, like one of the best guys in the country yep. um, for jiu-jitsu. I've actually never tapped him out ever, oh, which wow. is really upsetting. Well. <laughs> <laughs> he talks a lot of shit, and <laughs> mainly to me, he's like a respectful dude, Yeah, but he's really, really good, and his submission defense is ridiculous. And just a bit on, on Brian's credentials and where he comes from. Just so I think Brian, he's, he's had maybe 80 uh, MMA fights, he, he had a stint in the a very successful stint in the UFC. Yep. Um. His his record is like maybe f- fifty one and and eighteen or something like that. Wow. Somewhere ar- around those numbers. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm sorry if I'm missing a, a win or two there, Brian. But like really, really good and really unorthodox as well. Yeah. Uh, and just like been there, done that, so much experience. And um, was, was that something for you, obviously, you know, you, you're going through this this journey now and you're a bit disheartened. Did you feel confident going, right, well, this guy's been there, he's done it all, this is the guy for me and where I need to be? Or was it more of a connection that you and Brian had? Well, the very first session we had, we were going to do a, like a striking session. And it was, um, I was actually so embarrassed because he tried to do something, we'll call it intermediate, and then he realised how bad my striking was and we had to go right back to like fundamental stuff. So we're pretty much starting from scratch. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like a little bit embarrassing. I'm like, fuck, sorry. Like, this is this is all I got to offer. Yeah. Um, but good dude. He's a bit of a savage too. Like plenty of good banter. Yeah. But like a really good coach as well. He knows um, if you – one of the best guys I trained with was Theo Christakos, who's one of the best worldweights in the country. Um, some sessions he would like destroy me. Like, especially um, on the feet, he's, so, like, really, really good. His wrestling's really good. And then even on the ground, his transitions on the ground, like, really, really high level. And I'd be, like, so disheartened. But that's when Brian would sort of pep you up and say, look, you did some good things here, you did some good things there. You yeah. really need to spend more time fixing, you know, you know, whatever it may be, your single leg. Yeah. Um, but then there's other sessions there. Like, I did that for 12 months. So I was commuting to Sydney every weekend. <sighs> Um, and then I started to finally get a little bit better at, at different aspects. It was more like an understanding of what you can and can't do in jiu-jitsu and what comes across to MMA. Like, not everything works. Because that's that's a big thing, right? Like, MMA jiu-jitsu and sport jiu-jitsu is very different, yeah. The, the main thing is, if I'm not, if I don't have a connection to you, you're just going to exit. So if I try and play open guard and you decide to disengage, well, that's a wrap. Yeah there's potential that the ref will stand that up. So I really need to think about at least getting an overhook or getting some form of guard to get a hold of you. Yeah. As soon as I let go of you, you can disengage if you want to. Yeah. So you've always got to be conscious of that. And also uh, you're pulling guard and you're on the bottom. You're also getting elbows and punches to the face. Yeah. So I think when I had my first pro fight in Melbourne, so actually that's Brian um, come up to me at training one day. He's like, "Um, what are you doing in – six weeks on this Saturday. <laughs> well, I'll be here doing the wrestling class. He's like, yeah, okay, you won't be. You'll be <laughs> fighting in Melbourne. And then also on top of that, it was his wife's birthday. So he's like, and by the way, I won't be there either because, you know, I've got to be here. Oh, wow. So I was like, oh, sweet, thanks. And then I was like, um, who am I fighting? And he's like, oh, um, a boxer. He's he's 2-0, like a pro boxer, and he's also 2-0 in MMA. Wow. So I'm like, oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, cheers, man. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, and I just started seeing Taylor at the time as well. So I was like, great. I'm literally going to get knocked out in front of new girlfriend and whoever <laughs> decides to turn up from Melbourne. Fantastic. Thanks, yeah. Brian. <laughs> and Brian's not even going to be there. So I was, you know, that, and that was like, I didn't really have time to worry about it or stress about it. It was just, um, this is what's happening. You're doing it. So I was like, okay. And I didn't want to argue. I just sort of go with the program. Yep. Um, and I was just fortunate. Um, actually, the, William Dado was the guy's name. He was training with like Callum Potter and down at Resilience Training Center. So it's a really good gym. Yeah. Um, leading up to the fight, like yeah, as you always do, you do a little bit of research and you can see he's training with like some real killers. It's like, oh, great. This is some sort of stitch up. Um, but it's one of the, like, one of the main things Brian sort of drills into your head is like just go and grab him. 
So start of that fight, everyone's like so terrified. Just go and grab them. Don't overcomplicate it. Yeah. And that's pretty much, you know, what I try and always do is just go and make that initial connection for get a clinch or get a single leg or whatever whatever you need to do to get that initial connection. Yeah. And from there, you, you'll just flow from there. Because it's not so much the um, like the fear of the other person hurting. It's not like, okay, well, he's going to be so much stronger than me. It's like what could potentially happen. And I guess it's like footy. It's like if you sit there and watch the game for the first three plays – you're going, Jesus Christ. Yeah. But as soon as you touch the ball, you get that hit, you're like, well, I'm sweet, it's cool. Yeah, there's just so many unknowns. Yeah. Like b- before you walk out to have an MMA fight, like there's so much self-doubt and like the 30 minutes before you you feel good or I feel good right up until just before you're about to fight and what, then you start. What's, what's that feeling like, Grace, though? Before that, before that fight in Melbourne, I remember going into the toilet again and just like looking in the mirror and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, you're not an MMA fighter. What are you masquerading like this for? Like, like, you know what I mean? That's what you're thinking. But then at the same time, I'm also thinking like, I've watched the best middleweights in the country. I've been and watched them fight. Yep. I'm not, like there's nothing there that concerns me. Yep. It's, it's, I believe I'm, it's, it's, it's something I can do. Yeah. Just go and do it. Like there's definitely those two thoughts the whole time. And just for the normal punters out there, uh, middleweight, what's that in kilos? Oh, so I'll walk around probably 93 to 95, somewhere around there. Yep. Um, if if it's an Australian show, you've got to cut. Or if it's a UFC or a, or a Aussie promotion, you've got to cut um, down basically. So yep. you've got it at 24 hours. So I'll cut down to 83.9 from usually ideally you want to be about 91 92 yep uh, the week out yep uh, one time i accidentally had um bacon um late in the <laughs> in the week and there's heaps of sodium there Salt, so it's, yeah. yeah it's like really dumb um and what's what's a weight cut like Grace? so like for like for you say um you know t- 10 kilos 9 kilos 8 kilos what's that week like f- for yourself what's your personal experience with it i think i'm that's something I'm, i am good at um, weight cutting yep. it's it's like a science you this is what you're eating you can map it all out like I really like to have a plan and it just just tick it off so day one this is what you're eating um, as you get closer you might add in diuretics you might add in saunas um, baths hot baths all that sort of stuff but I have it all written out at the start of the week so I know exactly what I need to do to get there and it's like a respect thing too you don't want to turn up overweight um, you don't want to miss weight isn't like I don't get that you literally have one job is make weight. <laughs> there should be no excuse. Um, yeah, it does my head in. Like when I had that fight against Hong and he missed weight, like that really pissed me off. Yeah. Because that was um, one of the harder weight cuts I had to do because I had the bacon that week. Yeah. So I really spent longer in the sauna than I would have liked to. Yeah. Uh, so when I went through all that and then he missed, I was like, man. Piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like after you get off the scales and – what what's what's the rehydration process like for, like for someone like yourself? Yeah, so that's probably just as important. Yeah, um, it's one thing to make the weight, but now you've got to perform twenty four hours later. So you need to do everything you can to get back in you know, optimal um, condition. So you want to drink about a liter an hour every hour, and you'll add a little bit of hydrolyte in as well. This is the way I do it. There's there's different ways, but. Um, I'll have hydrolyte with water a liter every hour, and I won't go to bed until I'm pissing clear. Yeah. So that's super important. When you wake up, you'll still be really dehydrated, 
and then you need to continue to drink water again later an hour until you're pissing clear again and at that point you should be in a good you should be in a good position yeah but if you you see some people they skull a beer after they um make weight and it's like you just put in six weeks of your life dedicated to that fight and that's how you like you're literally at the last home yeah. stretch and you go and do something like that well alcohol dehydrates you even more yeah it's, <laughs> that's crazy i'd be happy if my opponent did that <laughs> yeah but then when when we were f- for the one warrior series it's uh hydration testing so you don't have to cut weight you've oh, got that's it. right yeah yeah it's 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 there's pros and cons of that too because um i did the gamma event as well it's like a, a pro-am world championships so there's like two organizations there's uh, IMAF, which is linked to the UFC, and then there's Gamma, which is linked to one. Yep. Uh, again, a little bit political, bit of a pissing contest. Uh, I'm probably one of the few people that's fought at both. Um, oh, wow. Both those world championships. Yep. So, like, I'm in a pretty good position to comment on both. Yeah. Um, probably won't get into that today. <laughs> um, but they both got their pros and cons. Yep. Like, I'd, I'd recommend both. Um, they try and say if you do one, you can't do the other. Um, carry on like that. Yeah. Um, but they're both really good, both great experiences. Um, I probably had a better time at Gamma. One, we're a lot more organised. Um, when you get to the hotel, there's your room key. You've, you're in. Yeah. I'm a two-hour wait just to try and find out what room you're in, and then you're getting put on a fold-away bed. Yeah. So the initial experience, not great there. Yeah. Um, the fact that you didn't have to wait, like wait cut, was really good um, for one. Yeah. But uh, if you make a little mistake and maybe you have too much watermelon, which um, soaks up a heap of... Uh, water water yeah it's really difficult the next day to cut weight when you're not allowed to be dehydrated yeah so like i was i think i was 0.3 like 300 grams over and i was only you know, hadn't been with taylor very long at that time so i had to tell her to take a walk while i tried to use the facilities just to try and somehow get that 300 grams out and i don't know where it was going to come from yeah so that was pretty stressful yeah whereas if that was a normal um, weight cut you'd just go and jump in the sauna and that'd be gone in you know 20 minutes 20 minutes yeah and who's like in the early days, like pre Brian, who was helping you with your weight cut? Was it people like Chad? Yeah, yeah. So Chad Price is awesome. Like when when Brotherhood was around, um, he spent a, like a lot of time with me. Same with Stu, yep. Stu McBeef. Yeah, um, they were the best corners you could hope for. Stu's been there from like day dot. He come out to Lithgow. Yeah, um, did a really good job out there. Um, Jordy Estetheo come and corner me for that fight as well, which is pretty fun. Shout out to Stu Jitsu. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, that was really good. Stu was probably like more nervous than me before that fight. Um, like, yeah, he really took it serious and, and it was awesome for yeah. him to be out there. Um, and same going up to uh, Coolum with Chad and Stu Corner. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And like, what's um, like, do you, did you keep Chado um, with Brian as well or did Brian have his method of madness? Oh, no, it was more like. Oh, because you didn't have to wait cut for one, eh? Because uh, when I had to go over for the Gamma and the One event, it was all in Singapore. Yep. So um, Chad and Sue, you know, weren't able to come over for that one. But um, when Brian – actually, when Brian um, coached for the One – he didn't come for Gamma, but he was there coaching for the One uh, Warrior Series event, and that was super helpful. Yeah. Like some of the stuff he was yelling out was really critical to the end result. And what about with the, with your weight cut as well? Because oh, well, you didn't have to because you had hydration tests. Yeah. Is I, that the same for One Warrior as well? Yeah, yeah. that was a little bit easier because – um, what, what, did you, what did you fight at? Did you fight at 90? 93, 93. 93. What was that like for you? Uh, it wasn't too bad. It was just like the Gamma event, I got a little bit um, carried away at the buffet. Um, <laughs> as you can imagine. That's, 
<laughs> us fellas like to do that. Yeah. But that was the only thing. I just had that one slip up. But yeah. that was um, the gamma events over two days. And if, you, if you're if you going to um, go right through, you could have four fights in two days. Yeah, right. So I had a, a German fella, a German guy, brown belt, um, fought him first, ended up arm barring him. Yep. But he was probably the toughest guy I fought. Um, so that was... I'm glad I got that one out of the way early. Yeah. I then got um, double-legged by an Indian dude to start the second fight. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect from that um, gentleman, but he literally just, I rushed him and he just level changed and double-legged me. Yeah. And as I was getting taken down, like there was a big smile on my face because I was like, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Respected. Yeah. I was like, yeah. damn, that was really good. Yeah. Like the Indians can wrestle. Yeah. Well, but, Bobby yeah. was telling me that um, like ancient times in India, pit wrestling was like, that's like their thing. Like the that's where the they're like noble people come from. Is like the pit wrestlers. They're like the old superstars. I wish Bobby told me that earlier. Yeah, <laughs> but, and that was just lucky. He like I was like, oh okay, I'm on the back. This isn't such a bad thing. And he, he I don't think he had an awareness for um, jujitsu attacks. Yeah, it was a really I think it was a ten second Gamora. Like it was. Oh over, wow! Yeah, okay, really quick. Yeah, uh, and he tapped super late. Like, but <laughs> can't do much about that. Yeah. <laughs> And then I got to fight a guy, I think he might have been four and one or five and one as a pro. Yeah. So those other two guys were amateurs. Yep. Uh, at this stage, I was one and oh as a pro. Yep. Uh, and the next guy, he was a pro. So I was, this was like going to be the one of the harder matchups. Yep. Uh, and I knew that going into it. I'd researched everybody in the division and had a real good understanding of who was who. Yep. Um, I can't I can't remember how we got to, oh, I, he tried to guillotine me. So I've got a clinch and he tried to like stand in guillotine me and he pulled guard. So this is a, like a French kickboxer. And I'm like, thank you. You've, <laughs> like <laughs> you've just taken all the stress out of this. Yeah. Like um, he was, you know, he's obviously kicking people to death in his earlier fights and I was aware of that. So yeah. that was the main thing I was worried about and mainly my ribs. I didn't really want them broken um, with a body kick. But yeah. uh, he, he tried to stand in guillotine me and I was like, he didn't do his research. Well, it was it was really helpful because he, he then sat to guard. I pretty much escaped straight away and, and then guillotined him. Wow. And again, that was a pretty quick one. Yeah. Um, but I was really stressed about that one because I was, you know, this guy was legitimate. And, um, Kickboxer. Yeah. yeah. It was, I, was, I was very uh, relieved when that one finished. <laughs> and then over the course of this, like Brian's sort of sending me messages, like more stirring me up than anything. Like, right, let's make sure we don't, you know, slip up here because then I had the Russian guy in the final Yeah, and his, um, his mode of operation was force them to turtle and then just beat them from turtle. Wow. And that's how he was, he was literally just making everyone essentially submit to strikes. Like he was, the ref was jumping in and stopping it, yeah. but they were quitting. Yeah. If you're sitting in turtle and you're not responding, you're, you're just copping it. Yeah, you're done. Um, that was a, a closer fight. We ended up footlocking him um, just with a crossbody footlock. Yep. So that was, um, a relief as well because I didn't want to end up being one of those people getting pounded from turtle. <laughs> um, but then after that event, I think um, one I'd always wanted to fight um, Ricky Archon when I found out, and it's not a, it's like a, I respect Rick. He's a really good competitor. He's um, done really good things yeah. in the Australian MMA scene. Um, I think he's had a couple of Australian titles. Plus, yeah. he's a legitimate black belt. Yeah, um, he'll jump in grappling industries and um, bash people. Yeah, I, you know what I mean, like just with real good. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's beaten Keller before. At black belt, the jiu-jitsu comp. Oh, I don't know about that. 
Oh, I don't know I'm about talking that. Out of school. No, no, no. I don't know about that. It, it could have happened. Yeah. Um, uh, Rick's Rick's a lord. I've I've done a bit of training with Rick. Yeah. Really, really good guy. And um, yeah, I remember watching this fight with uh, Owen and Chad um, at O's house, and yeah, it was crazy because obviously you guys are both from, well, he's from kind of like the bottom of Newcastle, like Central Coast, and you're from 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 the Hunter, and it's um, yeah, and he's a big boy too. Yeah, well, that's all I wanted. How was he 93 kilos? That's what I, would, I was watching him walking around in a tank top, like fight week. Yeah. And I'm like, God damn. <laughs> this, yeah. Is this real life? Yeah. But um, I, I only wanted to fight him because of his, you know, his no, no, notori- notoriety. Yeah. Like he was like. I think he was the Diamondback champion, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 And Is, um, that, is that the organization, Diamond? Yeah, the South like, Australian yeah, one. Yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. Something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I was asking for that fight. And initially, there wasn't an appetite for it. Yep. Like one weren't, you know, he's too experienced. He's had this many fights. But then after I won that Gamma event, then they were more receptive to it. Like, okay, we're going to do this fight. Uh, and a lot of people, I think, were like, oh, my God, you know, Mark's going to get killed. What was the promotion like for it from, like, at, from a fighting perspective? Because obviously you got exposed a lot more to it than kind of what we did back here. Was there a big push that these two Aussies were, were fighting each other? Like, was one, like, pushing that pretty hard? No, there's just not many um like there's not many 93 kilogram one warrior series contestants okay. that, that was a problem yeah um rick had already had one fight um against the japanese oh Jap- yeah that was a nuts fight yeah like yeah. and his jab was really good in that fight like that was um pretty impe- pretty impressive yeah um that japanese fellow dropped down in weight um so then that literally essentially just left me and rick in the heavier weights so it was we're always gonna fight it was just a matter of whether the experience gap was going to be too much yeah um, but in a in a situation like that, you got nothing to lose, and and I want fights like that. Um, I just wanted to fight the best guy and just find out where I'm at. Yeah. Um, particularly the fact he's a black belt as well. Yeah. Uh, he's got good jujitsu, really he's got good, good striking. Yeah. Um, he's got good wrestling. Uh, it was like the whole package. So let's just see what happens. And it was a uh, it was a very intense fight to watch. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was it's so- a very intense fight to be. <laughs> yeah. Because you got like because. Went to the went to the third round, right? Yeah. yeah. Was that was that in COVID, Grace? So just prior to it, COVID kicked in off Singapore? in like the year before, in like October, November in Wuhan. Yep. And then there was a few cases in Singapore. So when we got there, everyone's wearing face masks. There's um, temperature cameras and stuff everywhere. Uh, at the rules meeting, there was people wearing face masks, although it wasn't compulsory at that point. Yep. Um, they were just making us put hand sanitizer on to get on the bus. Yep. But at that stage, we didn't realise the severity of COVID. Yeah. We're still thinking it's like the flu. Yeah. So that, that was February 20. And I think things really kicked into gear. Oh, that was February 17, I think. Yeah. And then in Australia, COVID started to get taken really seriously about February 21. Yeah. But when I come back, I actually had to get like one of the first COVID tests. Because wow. I, I come back and I was really run down, uh, ended up having to go to Maitland Hospital with flu symptoms, just come back from Singapore. So they were like, they it literally put me in this, you know, isolated me from everyone, doctor come in, you know, wearing all the get up and did the COVID test, which is, I don't know if you've done one yet, but it's not very pleasant. Pleasant, yeah. But uh, that happened and it was all clear. Um but it was just becoming. You a just thing. fought a monster. That's why. <laughs> yeah, like that took <laughs> plus traveling. Yeah, that, that uh, looking back at that fight, there was uh, Brian and I both sort of went through and looked at it round by round. Um, what went well, what didn't go so well, and like where there was improvement opportunities. Yeah, but then also like um, it also raised a lot of different things, like uh, 
for example, my guard passing from half guard, not good enough. Like, um, I, you should be able to pass once you get chest to chest, and I couldn't pass. Um, that was really embarrassing, looking back at that now, um, getting put in lockdown and not knowing how to get out of lockdown. Yeah. Uh, as you know, like yeah. we covered this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You put me in lockdown. So is that where that actually got established from? Yeah. I I come back and watch that fight, and I was like, damn, I didn't realise how bad my jiu-jitsu was. Like, it was... <laughs> That's that's how I feel watching that now still. Yeah. Um, so that was like a really good, like big turning point for me. Um, a Gordon Ryan's passing set, invaluable. Like there's eight discs there. Um, you can go through and literally figure out how to pass any situation that you're going to come across. I wish I'd watched that before that fight. <laughs> but I think when you try and transition from jiu-jitsu to MMA, you're a little bit um, – you feel like you know jiu-jitsu yeah. and you focus all your energy on wrestling and, and striking – and your jiu-jitsu slips. Um, I noticed that even when I'm rolling Lynchy. And there's a period there where I didn't have any issues with Lynch. And then there was a period where I was really heavy into MMA and I'm getting caught by Lynchy yeah. uh, pretty regularly. Yeah. So then it's like, I need to make sure that my jiu-jitsu's um, at least being maintained, ideally improving, but it should at least be getting maintained and, and it was slipping a bit. Is that because obviously it was a strength for you? So you're like, okay, I need to focus on wrestling. I need to focus on striking. The jiu-jitsu is fine, but then obviously you start negating your, your strength, right? Yeah, and I think um, Gary Tonin's probably doing it right. Um, the way he's training is he's adding MMA on top of his jiu-jitsu. existing jiu-jitsu yeah. schedule. It was super cool on that um, Den- on that Gordon Ryan, Joe Rogan podcast where he talks about him and Gary doing the 9.30 MMA straight into their 11 o'clock jiu-jitsu, but the jiu-jitsu, they're, they're never not missing jiu-jitsu or MMA. That's probably the way to do it. Yeah. like And, and yeah, I did listen to that and I was like, yep. That's how you should be doing it. Um, <laughs> even guys, there's some really good um, young guys I train with. Um, Hayden Limebeer, for example. Um, I was getting caught in positions with him and that's showing like he's focused on jiu-jitsu and he's just come across to MMA now. But if you're not keeping up to speed, you know, you'll fall behind because yeah. so everyone's improving so quickly. Yeah. And um, after the, the Rick fight, obviously the world shuts down. Um what was your discussions with Brian about MMA moving forward? Is it just steady as she goes or was it like, well, I'm happy to just kind of just cruise back to Jiu-Jitsu? No, no. So I was going to fight a Mongolian fella. Um, you know, there was a, a bout agreement. Everything was in place. That was going to be in June. Uh, obviously, COVID wrecked that. Um, it was really disappointing, to be honest, because yeah. there was a lot of momentum um, after that, that fight in February. Um, we went and like I really fixed a lot of things. My back taking, like if, now I'm a lot more comfortable if I'm on someone's back, I should finish from there. Yep. Uh, that fight in particular, I took the back maybe 30 seconds in, should have finished. Like it was a terrible display of jiu-jitsu not to finish from there, but credit to Rick for being so resilient and you know what I mean? Really, really hard to put away and showing a lot of experience too by being able to survive in a position like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not taking any, anything away from him, I would just like to be a little bit better and if you get on someone's back, you should be finishing. Yeah. Um, ultimately, that's that's what your aim should be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was going to fight a Mongolian in in June. That fell through. We were still training the whole time. Kept training the whole time, just hoping that this pandemic would pass. Um, hasn't. <laughs> and if there's another um, one warrior series event kick away, like if if there's another bout agreement come across, I'll fight tomorrow. Okay. Like, cool. I'm, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. In terms of, do I have an appetite to jump on a local show for five hundred bucks? Absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. 
I know I, I need to, if if I wanted to progress in MMA, I'd have to do that. I'd have to jump on a local show. I'd have to go down that path. Um, ultimately, I might have to have three or four fights locally. Then I might get three or four with another promotion. But, you know, I'm 33 this year. Uh, I'd much rather focus on jiu-jitsu. Yep. That's what I'm good at. Well, that's what I'm getting. I'm much better at jiu-jitsu than I'm at striking, let me tell you that for free. Yep. But I'd love to troll for ADCC um, and jump on whatever uh, jiu-jitsu events pop up over the next uh, probably two or three years, I think. A yeah. good two or three years left. Yeah. Plus at the same time, like a lot of my focus is on coaching. There's a lot of a lot of talented uh, youngsters that have come across uh, to Ronan. There's a lot at grappling education that I train with. Yeah. Taylor's like showing a lot of promise as well. I don't want to put any pressure on her, but like really, um, really good from specific positions. Yeah. And only getting better. Um, so I really want to look at helping the next crop coming through and just basic stuff that um, I wasn't taught initially. It'd be great to teach um, others that early on. Yeah. So giving back. Yeah, and it's it's really rewarding to see like um, Seb, um, one of the guys I train with at Grappling Education, he's only 20, but like the amount of improvement he's shown so quickly and I think we did nine rounds uh, last Monday over two sessions. Wow. You just can't get enough. And it's like a growth mindset. He just wants to get better. Yeah. He doesn't care what happens in each round. I don't care what happens in each round. We're both just trying to get better at jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And that's that's how you do it. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, don't worry about the results. Like, training's just training. It seems like Keller's got like this environment of people who are super experienced and got a lot of knowledge to give, and also just people who are thirsty for the knowledge. So it just makes this really great environment. Well, I think when you look at, um, they've pretty much got all bases covered in terms of like Keller and Jeremy Skinner teaching no gi, like both really really good instructors. Um, Nico and Nico Magic, we'll call him, Nico Maglagic, and also John Mistakitis. They look after most of the gi instruction, and Kane Wilkin as well, like another seasoned like black belt. Yeah. So you've got really good gi, really good no gi, and they've just started uh, a wrestling class Wow. Um, that will be coming in on a Wednesday. Wow. So like all bases are really getting Who will be taking the wrestling class? I'm not sure of the fella's name, um, but... Is it one of, one of the Slovakian boys? He's uh, like, like your... Jakub or Pavol or... No, no, uh, Pavel used to be the wrestling coach there. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm not sure who the new wrestling coach is. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he, he does come from... Um, I used to kick it with um, Pavel's older brother, Danny. Got you. Yeah. yeah. So, I used to call him the Slovakian House Mafia. So it was like Jakob, um, uh, Pavel, Danny, and the little fella, Marty. And they all lived together at Rose Bay. <laughs> Just, yeah, savages. Pavel actually um, really helped my anaconda joke. Uh, and just by t- taking a wrestling mindset into how you're applying it, yeah, um, like he did, he did it to me. But he wasn't trying to choke me; he was just trying to show me a wrestling position. And I was like, "You really realize you're strangling me there?" <laughs> He's like, "Oh, that's not legal. You can't do that in wrestling." But and then he's to. <laughs> well, I'm like, "Yeah, but for jujitsu, that's fantastic." Yeah. So like that really opened my eyes to, you know, the threat that was there from front headlock. It's crazy. The um, I like just would chat to those guys after training and just. You know, they'd just travel Europe, man, just competing in wrestling tournaments. So crazy. Like, they're, they're, they're from, yeah, Slovakia, and they'd just, you know, travel to the Ukraine and Russia and, you know, Uzbekistan and whatever else, just just travelling, doing wrestling tournaments to earn money, like, after school. Like, doing – it's crazy. Yeah, it's a special part of the world. <laughs> yeah, absolute madness. Um, 
And then, so you're doing coaching at, at Grappling Education, obviously, Ronan. How, 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 how many times a week are you still training with, well, with Brian? I'm um, at No Limits Gym as well in Sutherland. Oh, okay then. Yeah, yep. so like, it's... it's um, Is it Tarrant Point? Oh, Sutherland, sorry. Yeah, Sutherland, Sutherland. Yeah, Sutherland. It's, um, so Monday, Friday and Saturdays, I'll be grappling at um, double, double sessions where I can. Yep. Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll be at Ronan. So Tuesdays we'll do no gi, Wednesday we'll do the gi, and then Thursday night I do no gi at NLG. There is a little bit of an appetite for the gi, but little bit of an appetite, you know. Yeah, what I mean? yeah. I yeah, think yeah. the gi's um, definitely lost its significance, um, particularly in like an entertainment um, perspective. Yeah, people don't want to watch a gi match where me and you have this tussle, and then you win by an advantage. <laughs> yeah, like there's not a lot of excitement in in that, and yep. it's. I get a little bit of satisfaction out of doing that. Like if you go against someone really good in the gi and you can sweep them, like there's that little bit of, oh yeah, like that was fun, but it's only little. Yeah. <laughs> like I'd much <laughs> rather I'd much rather be doing no gi. People want to watch no gi. You watch guys like Gary Tonin who can oh. escape from any any position. Yeah. Um, even uh, Skinner's most recent match where he's, you know, had a fairly tough adversary and, right, you know, really pushed him to the limit and then pulls off a, pretty impressive submission to finish like that's the sort of stuff you want to watch i love gary that much that when we're in japan 2019 december um he, i was at one end of japan airport he was at the other we were, we were like boarding and i said to lucy i gotta go see this guy because I, I dm'd him i'm like dude i'm like at the same airport he's like, well, what terminal are you at oh gate are you at and he told me i'm like oh fuck literally just like ran like slapped up with him got a photo and then ran back straight onto my plane back to australia <laughs> Yeah, he was he was uh, at Evolve and we were there, um, getting ready for one of his fights. Yeah, and it was cool just to see how focused he was and like the amount of time he was spending getting ready. Such a cool guy. Like that whole desk squad just seems pretty, um, yeah, obviously super dedicated, but just super. They look like they're always having a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think the instructionals that they've all released has helped jujitsu. You know, like everybody now has access to literally the cutting edge modern jiu-jitsu yeah like there's no you don't have to go and do a seminar somewhere or like you don't need to go and see some instructor to get some secret technique yeah they've put it all out there you've got all the tools you need to go and be good at jiu-jitsu it's literally the balls in your court 100 percent. and even so cool on that podcast where you know gordon's last fight he just put a triangle on a piece of paper put it into an envelope handed it to the commentators and said open this after i finished <laughs> yeah like that level of confidence yeah. is wild, but also he's he's so good. Like one of uh, just lined him up with Shinya Aoki for a grappling match. Um, Gordon's going to destroy him. Yeah, it, but it wouldn't matter who got put there. There's yeah. no, there's nobody that can compete. Yeah, no, nah, no one. Uh, what you? What was your take on the uh, Gaval incident when uh, when Gaval bridged up and Gordon just slapped <laughs> twice? I think if someone. If someone gets in your space, there, you know, you're entitled to respond like that. The fact that he got in his space, if if someone gets that close to me in a threatening manner, I'm I'm hitting him. Yep. I'm going to hit you with the right hand. If you're getting aggressive, if you're coming at me in an aggressive manner, I'm fearful for my safety. Yep. I'm going to do what I need to to control that. Yep. I think Gordon was fairly generous slapping him. Yeah. The fact that he then come back again, and he had to slap him again, super generous. Like he. He could have laid him out there. Um, slapping him probably made it even worse. Like getting bitch slaps. That's pretty rough. Yeah. But again, if you're going to get in someone's face and you're going to come with someone with that intensity, 
it's the same like as Bobby probably has talked about in a security setting. If someone's coming at you with heat like that, yeah, um, they're really limiting the options that you can do. Yeah, hundred percent. You're gonna have to respond like yeah, that. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, and one thing I did want to want to touch on is um, obviously your like your indigenous background as well. Um, do you like? Can you see yourself? trying to get more Indigenous people into into the Jiu-Jitsu community and giving back and stuff like that because I know you are proud of that. So one of the cool things I did get to do, uh, I went up to Yulamu, which is about three hours or probably three and a half hours outside Alice Springs and I went to a remote community up there and got to teach Jiu-Jitsu. Wow. Um, so that was that was a bit of fun. It was with NASCAR, so the Na- uh, National Aboriginal Sporting Chance Academy. Awesome. Um, they do these pro- – they'll go up there two or three times a year go to different locations and that whole um, motivation is to try and get the kids into school. Yep. Uh, educate them about a healthy lifestyle. Um, that goes for like nutrition, um, after school activities. Yep. Uh, and, you know, on one, and making sure that they are turned up for their classes. Like it's pretty important that you turn up to class. Yeah. Um, we'd get them to come in and have breakfast with us. So we'd help get breakfast and we'd do that as a group. And then after school, we'd do whatever sport it was for the day. Uh, and one of the days we got to do jiu-jitsu and it was in a, uh, it was like a, it was a dry creek bed. So it was like on sand and wow. there, we were just doing like some little, like my judo is terrible, but just some little judo throws and some basic takedowns. Um, we, we had to actually wrap it up a little bit early because one of the kids um, must have thrown a little bit too hard and then they've got up and they're punching on. <laughs> so I was like, all right, that's enough jiu-jitsu for today. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Um, Matt's done some really good work um, at the PCYC out at Raymond Terrace. Raymond Terrace some Indigenous yeah. kids out there. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of them that are doing really well. Yeah. So he's he's regularly doing that as part of his his work, um, and he sends me clips sometimes, like showing me you know how their transitions are looking and some of the stuff he's teaching is like like Danaher techniques. Mm. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how they go in a couple of years. It'd be really good to get uh, uh, a couple of the fellas competing um, yeah. for Ronan down the track. Like we're talking. It'll take us 12 months, like especially some of the people that come across. Yeah. It'll take us 12 months to get them um, to the level and, you know, understanding how to do jiu-jitsu properly. Yeah. Like um, the Pez dispenser passing that yeah. we talked about yeah. last week, things like that. Um, a lot of people don't understand how critical that is. Yeah. So once you start explaining basic stuff like that and people start to implement it, that's when they're going to have a lot more success. Yeah, it's super cool, man. And it's, it's nice to see... Um, you know the boy from Maitland you know, giving back to the to the community um, and uh, yeah look at keep going with that and the, my buddy Dan's actually started a, um, a not-for-profit called fund my challenge very similar to GoFundMe but they have ambassadors my judo boys um, actually running a challenge now to help them on their way to Tokyo uh, for the Olympics so be pretty cool if we could maybe I could team you guys up and with you and Lynchy see if we could start a challenge for for maybe raising some money to to get some to get some uh, funds for for the, for the local um, for the local indigenous communities to get them into jiu-jitsu. Yeah, well, even I think Lynchy's already started trying to put geese together and uh, you know get some secondhand geese and things like that. Yeah, so I've got a couple they can have. <laughs> they have to be some big boppers, but <laughs> yeah, I'd love it. Actually, I'm sponsored by Hyperfly. They they've been looking after me since 2014. Yeah, and they they only they literally just um, emailed me today wanting to send me a geese. I'm like a geese. What am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. <laughs> But it's, it'll be good. Um, yeah. uh, like uh, I got a gi in 2014. I still have that gi. Yeah. Like it's such good quality that I've still got that. And um, there's another black gi they sent maybe in like 2018. Yeah. But every year when they try and send me a gi, I'm like, don't. It's all good. Like 
appreciate the offer. Like super generous. Yeah. Um, but I'm good for geese. Just send me an A one and I'll give it to some kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but um, they are sending one down, so I'm going to have a spare geese soon. So I'll flick that to Lynchy. Yeah. Awesome. Um, now, mate, in terms of um, departing some wisdom for for people who are are new to jiu-jitsu or looking to go competitive from jiu-jitsu to MMA, what's some imparting words that you could you could give to some people who are listening? Don't rush into MMA. That'd be like the first thing. Get good at jiu-jitsu first. Jiu-jitsu is the hardest thing to learn. You can pick up striking in a couple of years. Um, you can, through jiu-jitsu, you'll learn a little bit of wrestling. But if you focused on jiu-jitsu and also adding a, you know, a wrestling class as well, maybe once or twice a week, maybe you go and do a private with someone like Brian um, once a week just to understand the wrestling. He'll give you the drills you need to do and you can take that away. You'll be so far ahead. Like ultimately, if you can go and get a hold of someone, put them on the ground, and you've got good jujitsu. It's going to be you're going to be a really difficult opponent in a cage. Yeah. Uh, compare that with a striker. It's a lot more difficult. They've got to um, like they've actually they've got a limited. As soon as you can get a hold of that striker and put them on the ground, they've lost all their weapons essentially. Yeah. Unless they're really good at distance management, like a Wonderboy Thompson or something like that. Yeah. But very few people are at that at that level. If you're looking at the local scene, it's very easy to go and grab a hold of a striker and put them on the ground. Or go and grab a hold of them, put them in a clinch, and you know you're nullifying a lot of their their threats. Yeah. So that would be the first thing if you're looking to go into MMA, get good at jiu-jitsu. If you're just looking to get good at jiu-jitsu, go and buy yourself Gordon's passing instructional. <laughs> go and buy yourself uh, Jeremy Skinner's leg lock um, fundamental instructional. That's another like if you value your knees and your legs, yep. you should go and buy that one. Um, that's a really good starting point. I think no gi is where the future's heading. So I think gi's fun. Uh, I see the value of it. Maybe put it on once or twice a week. Yep. But ultimately, the future is no gi. Yep. So you should be focusing your energy on getting good at no gi. Yep. You need to have leg awareness. Yep. So you go and buy Jeremy's instructional. <laughs> that's the first thing you should do. Um, and also Gordon's passing. Yep. That is like mind blowing. Um, the passing concepts that he's putting across, it's literally giving you the blueprint to pass any guard. If you can pass any guard, half the battle's won. 100%. And I guess uh, like even from my perspective as, you know, I'm three years into this with a blue belt, get to every seminar you can get. If you've got a guy who's a special a specialist in an area, whether it be Jeremy with legs or Lachlan or, or you know, even some people like yourself or uh, Keller, like if you can support these guys and learn what they've got to, to got to provide to you, get around, support the local guys or international guys who come out and do seminars because you, you might get one thing from that, but it can change your game and your whole jiu-jitsu experience as well. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Um, some people have different views on seminars, but I, I do find them valuable, um, particularly if you get to roll um, at the end. Like if you're not allowed normally to cross train, yeah, that's where you can sneak in some rolls yeah. with other gyms. Like that's a really good opportunity. I seen um, um, after Lockie's seminar, I seen him and Muzz roll, Justin. I was just like, like Muzz was a handful for him. And I was like, that's so cool to watch. Yeah, so Lachlan's rule is after a seminar is he'll keep rolling and roll as long as you keep rolling. Yeah. So you can't just sit to the side and then jump in. Yeah. Like the expectation is if you're going to roll with Lockie, you need to keep rolling the whole time, which is a good way to do it. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty fair. Yeah. 
Well, Mr. Grayson, thank you very much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, I'll chuck up your Instagram handles. I'll chuck up um, Keller's Gym, etc. Um, also, Ronan, if you're ever in Newcastle, uh, get yourself to, to Ronan down at Broadmeadow. Uh, see Mr. Grayson, uh, Lynchy, and also Bobby. But, mate, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it and looking forward to tonight. Thank you, brother. Thank Thanks you, for having me. Cheers. Thank you for listening, Legends. Make sure you like and subscribe on all your podcasting platforms and head over to Instagram and check us out at ToThePoint underscore podcast. To the point.